As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Pure Thoughts is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Pure Thoughts comes direct from legends of the game as they share secrets of their success. Welcome to Pure Thoughts, Brad Doherty. I'm Bruce Bernstein. Before he was the number one overall pick in the 1986 NBA draft, and before he became one of the greatest big men ever to play for the University of North Carolina, he was just a rural kid from the town of Black Mountain in Western North Carolina. But he was never ordinary in any way. He entered UNC at the age of 16, and while Brad was never overwhelmed, he realized very quickly that balling there was no joke. When I got to Chapel Hill uh, to play basketball, and at that, that time North Carolina was you know, obviously just an incredible, incredible program, Coach Smith's incredible coach, I didn't understand the magnitude of playing uh, for University of North Carolina. Um, you know, I was obviously heavily recruited and had all these opportunities and saw all these different things. And so when I got there and the first time I walk into the gym and I'm watching, you know, pick up basketball there and I'm looking at this game, these games in the, in the beginning of September on the, you know, on campus and I'm seeing all of these NBA basketball players playing pickup basketball. And I'm starting to recognize a few of these guys. I'm like, man, why are these guys out here playing basketball? You know, shouldn't they be at training camp or something like that? And so I started to realize a little bit of the culture that was in Chapel Hill. The culture at UNC wasn't created by Coach Dean Smith, but it was perfected by the man who led the Tar Heels from 1961 to 1997 winning two national championships. Coach Smith was not only a great basketball mind, he was a man who would not hesitate to speak out and actively oppose racism and injustice at a time and in a place where those views were not always welcome. Coach Smith, uh, uh, just a remarkable human being. Uh, you know, we, we talk about, and again, we're talking about basketball, but, you know, being in his presence uh, and, and being a part of something that his family he created uh, is the most impactful thing that has happened in my life. Um, you know, he, he was really unique. And, and I think the thing that made him so, so, so different uh, is in his, his beliefs. You know, he was a, a devout Christian man. Um, he was a, a, a devout uh, Democrat, extremely liberal. Uh, I used to kid him about that, but just very, very, very liberal Democrat and uh, would often speak his mind on politics uh, back in an era where coaches just kind of didn't do that. Um, mm. And I always found that really interesting, the, the psychology that he, he employed in his everyday life, whether it was dealing with us or with other people, was interesting. He always – you know, it, it's not playing games, but he was always challenging people to rethink. And, 
I never forget. I was coming back from uh, uh, Asheville or Black Mountain. I was coming back to campus, and uh, I was riding with this this young lady, and uh, we were coming into Burke County, North Carolina, and uh, uh, I was driving, and uh, you know she was a young Caucasian lady riding back to school with me, and uh, I'm just riding down the road, and all of a sudden I look up, and you know there's cop cars behind me, you know. And, I looked, I mean, I wasn't speeding. I was just riding, you know, no big deal. And I'm riding along, I'm looking. So they all, there's a few of them, and they all turned their lights on. All right. So, you know, they rode behind me for a little while, but I, like I said, I didn't think anything about it. Get pulled over. Guy walks up to the car, and uh, he looks at me. He said, uh, boy, where are you going? I said, uh, well, I'm, I'm going to Chapel Hill. He said, uh, you been drinking? This is like a Sunday afternoon. I'm trying to get back to school. <laughs> I'm like, well, no, I, I was at church about two hours ago. I, I don't, you know, drink on Sunday after church. He's like, huh? He's like, man, where are you going? And she's like, well, I'm going back to Chapel Hill, I guess. And I'm looking at her like, well, if she's in the car with me, I guess. I, <laughs> <laughs> I guess we're we're both going. So just really uncomfortable. And I was, you know, I, I you know, I've always had to. And it's a blessing from my parents. I, I've always, even when I'm in a tough situation, I've always had the ability to laugh, you know, when stuff's just ridiculous. So I'm kind of laughing, and he's looking at me like, you know, what are you laughing at? You know, and I'm I say anything. He's like, so uh, he's like, he said, just hold tight. He goes back, runs my tags. He comes back, and uh, he's like, oh, okay. He said, you play basketball then at Chapel Hill, don't you? I said, yes, sir, play, play basketball. He said, well. He said, uh, you need to slow down coming through Burke County. I said, well, I said, I was going, I think I was going like 48 miles an hour. I don't know. Speed limit's like 55. He said, well, I had you going 65. He said, so you're going to get a ticket today. I said, all right. So he gives me a ticket. You know, I pull out. And, man, he followed me for like 20 miles. It's really odd. So I get off the exit there. I get to Chapel Hill. I go, you know, next morning, Monday morning, I go and talk to Coach Smith. I said, I got pulled over. Burke County, I said, uh, guy held me like an hour. And I said, it was just really you know, odd. And finally, he says, oh, you play basketball. And he let me go. But he gave me a ticket. I said, you know, I, okay, it is what it is. I said, I wasn't speeding. So I give the ticket to Coach Smith. And he's looking at it. And he's like, it's got also a level four. It says level four violation. So we start looking at that. So we call the little attorney that's there. And he says, uh, Coach Smith says, the attorney says that it said the guy smelled alcohol in the car i said well coach i didn't have any i didn't have anything in the car i just had my clothes and i was just riding he said okay so he got i mean coach smith got he was just absolutely pissed off he went as far only and i forgot about it i had a ticket i paid it no big deal whatever went on about my business but he went after this guy and leveled racism and, and just absolutely went after the guy uh, the officer, and went as far as going to the, to the state uh, and investigating this guy, this officer, and just made his life miserable. Uh, and the guy ended up having a terrible pay. He's just not a very good guy. But just, it was over something that was really small, but in my mind, you know, it was small, but in his mind, it's something that could have been a problem. Coach Smith understood systemic racism long before it became a 21st century hot-button issue. 
and the fact that every Tar Heel player knew he had their back inspired a loyalty and even reverence that all of his former players had for him. In Dean Smith's world, the only color that mattered was Carolina blue, and the only race that mattered was the human race. And I remember talking to him years later about it, and talking about you know, systemic racism and those types of things that, you know, in, my, in that era that were a little bit prevalent, but it was just kind of the way it was. But he was explaining to me how wrong it was. Now, this is beyond basketball. This is something that, you know, I didn't – I grew up in a, a little town of, you know, 3,500 people. Maybe we had, you know, 100 African-American people, of which I'm – you know, I'm kin to all of them. And so – but it's, it's, it's pretty segregated, but it's a very, uh, very calm community uh, because everybody just kind of did their thing and stayed in their place, even in the 80s, you know. And so you don't – I didn't realize – I didn't recognize what had happened there. And why, you know, you know, you get, I got pulled over every other month for no reason driving up and down the road. You know, you just, I didn't understand that. And I just thought that's the way it was. And he explained to me and he showed me how egregious this is, how wrong this is because of the color of my skin. And he would always talk to us and really implore us to live our lives as if we're equal, no matter what. Beside Dean Smith, the other dominant presence in Chapel Hill was Michael Jeffrey Jordan, Brad's teammate during his freshman and sophomore seasons. Although Brad joined the team that MJ led to the 1982 National Championship, the 16-year-old freshman made it clear that he was not intimidated by the soon-to-be legend. I never was a guy that was the blow, blowing smoke up Michael's dress type of guy, like a lot of guys were, because they were either in awe of him or... or scared of him uh, athletically, you know, because he could dominate. That type of thing. I didn't do that. I'm not that guy. I've never been that way with anyone. And so uh, I think he's always kind of respected that. When MJ left for the NBA in 1984, Brad became the Tar Heels' main man, making the All-ACC first team his final two seasons. He was joined on those All-ACC teams by Len Bias of Maryland. Darty and Bias were the top two overall picks in the 1986 NBA draft, with Brad going to Cleveland and Len going to Boston. While they were rivals on the court, they became friends and were about to become business associates until tragedy struck with Bias's death from a cocaine overdose just two days after the draft. Brad recalls how he found out about the death of his friend. I get a call from uh, Lee Fentress. And we're talking, and he says, I need you to be in uh, Boston. You're going to do a shoe deal with uh, Lenny Bias. And it's going to be the, the largest deal in sports history. Because me the first time the one and two picks have signed um, together with Reebok. I said, cool. I said, when I get there, he says, you got to be here in the morning. I said, oh, wow, okay. Um, good deal. Um, so I, I go, this is following the draft. I go to, well, I'm going to get on the plane. And, uh, as I'm walking through the airport that next morning, it's really early. Um, one of my roommates in school there had worked at the, uh, the little baggage claim deal there in Chapel Hill. And, uh, we'd been up all night and I saw him going through and he was hung over and looked awful. And he's like, man, did you hear what happened? I just kept walking. I didn't, I was, I didn't feel good. So I was getting to the plane. 
I get on the airplane, I'm sitting there, and this is early in the morning. And the pilot comes back and says, man, congratulations on being the first pick in the draft. I said, I appreciate it. He said, man, it's terrible what happened to Lynn Bias. And I said, uh, what do you mean? He said, you haven't heard? I said, no. He said, Lynn Bias is dead. Oh, my God. And I said, what do you mean he's dead? He's like, well, he said, you, you need to get some. He said, I, he said, he died this morning. Something happened. But he's dead. I, I, I was just sitting there, and I couldn't quite take it all in. And so. I get off the plane. I walk off the plane. I walk back, and you know, back then we walked into the airport, pick up a phone, and you know, you had to put some, you know, it was a payphone, so I put a buck in. I called Coach Smith, and he's like, "Yeah, come, come to chapel, come back to the, I want you to come over to campus. I need to talk to you." I get back over to campus, and he's like, uh, "Yeah, just you know, sit down." He said, "There's really been some tragic news this morning." Uh, said uh, we lost Lynn Bias. And I said, "Well, what happened?" He said, "Well, I don't, I don't have all the information." But there was a party last night and things that uh, uh, something happened and he went to cardiac arrest. He says, let's get more information. We'll go from there. So that's how that whole day of the draft and day after the draft and the day after all kind of came together for me. Back in 1986, the era of the super team was in its infancy. It was a very small group with the Showtime Lakers and the Larry Bird Celtics. Brad might have been a member of a third super team but his draft rights were traded from the Philadelphia 76ers to the Cleveland Cavaliers in one of the worst decisions the 76ers ever made. The super team that, that would have been great is when I was drafted. If I'd have went to Philly, okay, there was Moses was there, Charles was there, and I think Doc was at the end of his career. That would have been the team. That that would have been a hell of a team because mm -hmm. you I see I made the all-star team my in 88 and Mike Patello, I think was the coach. Uh, my mind's getting bad. And so we were playing in practice that day. We were scrimmaging and he put me, Moses and Charles on the same team and uh, against the other team. And we, man, we killed the, the, the other squad. And so in the game, he started me, Moses and Charles second half. And they had, let's see, it was Elijah Wan, I think Kareem. I can't, I can't remember who else, James Worthy. Man, we absolutely kicked their ass. It was unbelievable. <laughs> and I remember Charles after game because I I played Moses. I could play some four because I could shoot it a little bit, and I, I passed the ball really well. Mm -hmm. So I could play four, and then you could post Moses, and I but Moses could come to the the, the top of. The, he loved to come to the free throw line against big guys and face them up. So then I could rotate to the the block and post up. And so you need to ask Charles, but every time I see Charles, I played in a little golf event with Charles uh, a while back, which I waxed him, by the way. He's horrible. Speaking of horrible, that described the Cavaliers team before Brad joined them. But led by Doherty, Ron Harper, and Mark Price, the Cavaliers soon became formidable. Brad was named an All-Star in his second season and was a five-time All-Star by the age of 27. His career was on a Hall of Fame trajectory, but in his eighth season, he suffered a terrible back injury that required seven hours of surgery to repair his damaged spine. And just like that, his playing career was over. It was difficult because you know, I was 28 years old. Uh, I, was, I was in the prime of my career. <clears throat> Excuse me, my voice is cracking up. <clears throat> and uh, I was really coming into my own as a player. I mean, I was, a, I was averaging 20 and 10 a night. Uh, you know, you look at my stats against all the look at my stats against the centers 
of the, the 80s of that era. And they're as good as any of them. Uh, on any given night, whether I was playing against Patrick or, you know, Akeem or David Robinson, I could dominate on any given night. And same with them. We'd go, I mean, it, it was it was give or take. There's a lot of nights I, I, I played better than those guys. Uh, and so I felt, you know, coming into at 28, you know, I was I was finally a full-grown guy uh, coming into my own uh, game-wise knowledge, that type of thing. I thought that I could have been – I thought I could have been the best center in the league uh, at the time, and uh, which, was, which was saying a lot because that was the era of great centers. Um, so uh, it was difficult. It was really hard, and I didn't know – you know, I had other – you know, I was involved in different businesses and had business things that I could always turn to, and I did, and got into some of those things and went full-time. But it was, it was, it was heartbreaking because I loved to play basketball, and I loved the game of basketball. and. It had given me so much in my life, from a, a great college education to an incredible mentor to coming into pro basketball, which obviously financially changed my life, uh, to being a part of an organization that had come from the doldrums of of, of pro basketball, kind of up into the, the spotlight of being having a chance. So even though Michael had ruined our, our year a lot of years, there was a lot going on that was just spectacular and, and good and positive. And uh, to have that taken away uh, was, was heartbreaking. Growing up in North Carolina, auto racing was neck and neck with Tar Heels basketball when it came to the most popular sports. During his NBA career, Brad wore the number 43 to honor NASCAR legend Richard Petty, Brad's favorite driver. While Brad's playing career ended prematurely, he wasted little time jumping into the NASCAR world, becoming a team owner in his early 30s. He's the current co-owner of the JTG Darty Racing Team. And to hear him describe what the day of a race is like, it sounds even more hectic than preparing for a playoff battle with the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan. All of our brand partners come in the day of a race, and we spend the entire morning uh, with those folks in meetings, uh, and, and, and entertaining those people, uh, and feeding those people. Uh, it's that every weekend. And then, you know, our race team, uh, are, they're doing their debriefings. We have engineering meetings. Uh, we have driver meetings. And then we meet with NASCAR the same day. And then you go race. So uh, starting at 5 o'clock in the morning, right up until about 30 minutes before the race when they sing the national anthem, as an owner in that business, you are working. And a lot of times, we're doing deals with different business clients. We do a lot of B2B stuff in NASCAR because you have a lot of Fortune 100 companies in the business. And so you get a lot done the day of a race, just like a lot of guys get stuff done on the golf course in business meetings. So sometimes we may be sitting there talking to Roger Penske about doing a business deal with him and his, whether it's you know one of his 10,000 businesses, whether it's you know, domestically or internationally, and trying to get that put together so the following week we can get it documented and implement it. So it's, it's pretty hectic and it's pretty involved and, uh, but it's a lot of fun. But once the green flag falls, man, it's all about racing and, uh, uh, a lot of fun, a lot of fun, a lot of hard work, a lot of fun. As one of the few African-Americans in the NASCAR world, Brad was a leader in opposing the racism that marred the sport, especially the Confederate flag that was so offensive to many potential fans. 
I had the honor of working with Brad at ESPN for several seasons on the network's NBA coverage, and I promise you that nobody worked harder, cared more, or had more fun. With his success at every level of basketball, broadcasting, and business, there is no better example of a pure basketball soul than Brad Doherty. Pure Thoughts is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.